0: to do. I would like to let you know that today is going to be like, today is a special treat. It's a special treat for me. I believe it's going to be a special treat for you. And that is this, that that we have sharing with us today, Pastor Rory Eldridge. Now, yeah, exactly. His reputation precedes him, obviously. Rory, he grew up at Overlake. He, um, he graduated our student ministries program. He actually came and interned for a while with us and then was on staff with Overlake for many, many years in student ministries. It's been wonderful to watch how God has, has grown him and raised him up and elevated his leadership. He's married to a, a, a beautiful woman far, far out of his league. Uh <laughs> Uh, Laura, and, and they, have, they have four children under five years old, so they are exhausted all the time. Hey, can we give Rory a huge Overlake welcome as he comes? Come on up here, man. We love you.
1: Well, good morning, Overlake. I am so delighted and excited to be here this morning. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to jump into Psalm 23. Jesus, uh, man, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit in this space and in this place, God, that you might move and move mightily, mightily. Lord, would you change our hearts today? We want to walk out of the four walls of this place, living, loving, and leading more like you, especially in a world that's so dark and in desperate need of your light. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, you guys have heard of phobias, right? Um, Probably know some of the more common phobias like claustrophobia, right? The fear of close quarters or uh, hydrophobia, fear of water, uh, arachnophobia, fear of spiders. So you know those ones, but do you know some of the lesser-known phobias? What I want to do is I want to test you right now. We're going to go through a list of some lesser-known phobias. I want to see if you can get these. Uh, The first one's this, isolophobia. You know what that is? Fear of isolation. You're right, I heard that. Uh, Agoraphobia. You know that one? Yes, that's right. It's fear of, like, crowded spaces. How about uh, aviophobia? Fear of... Flying. Yeah. All right. You guys are smart. Uh, Chorophobia. Some of you need to have this fear. It's the fear of dancing. That's right. It's the fear of dancing. Uh, how about this one? I got this one bad. Acclurophobia. It's the fear of cats. Deathly afraid of cats, man. Uh, cholerophobia. Cholerophobia. That's right. It's the fear of clowns. You are so smart. You're on this today. How about this one? Trypanophobia, the fear of injections. Fear of injections. Some of the men are gonna commiserate with me on this one. Uh, penthrif- pentherophobia, the fear of mother in laws. <laughs> How about this one? Omphalophobia. It's the fear of belly buttons. <laughs> we got uh, hydroxophobia. It's the fear of blonde people. I take offense to that one. How about this one? Homilophobia. It's the fear of sermons. Then how about this one? Hydroxohomilophobia. It's the fear of blonde guys giving sermons, right? Now, did you know there are actually over 536 documented and medicated phobias? It's crazy to think how many there are. And some are kind of funny, but uh, there are other fears that actually reside within all of us, and they're not so funny. There are fears that keep us from doing what we want to do. There's fears that keep us from being who we want to be, fears that actually keep us paralyzed and stuck. And so, can I ask you this morning, could you use less fear and more peace? Is anxiety and worry and panic keeping you from embracing life and living it with passion? Let me give you one more phobia, it's called chronophobia. It's the fear of the future. Anybody got that these days? You know, I was, uh, in a coffee shop just yesterday, and I was perusing my news app, and then all around me were these flat-screen TVs, and it was like I was just surrounded by bad news. CNN, uh, MSNBC, Fox News, my app, and it was just all bad news. Rogue nations pursuing nuclear weapons, neo-Nazis organizing more rallies, terrorist attacks in Europe, ISIS beheading more Christians, human trafficking destroying the lives of little boys and little girls, hurricanes in Texas, wildfires in California, tremors, droughts. I mean, it was just bad news everywhere. And then then one of the stations goes to a commercial break, and they went into one of those advertisements for a new prescription drug. You know, the, the, the prescription drugs that the commercial is like the disclaimer for the commercial is longer than the commercial itself? In fact, I saw this new drug, and this disclaimer was just incredibly long, so I actually went on the website, and I, I just want to read to you this disclaimer. I'm going to leave the drug name out of it, but here is the disclaimer for this drug. It says, "If you." Your family or caregiver notice agitation, hostility, depression, or changes in behavior, thinking, or mood that are not typical for you, or you develop suicidal thoughts or actions, anxiety, panic, aggression, anger, mania, abnormal sensations, hallucinations, paranoia, or confusion, stop taking blank and call your doctor right away. Also, tell your doctor about any history of depression or other mental health problems before taking blank, as these symptoms may worsen while taking blank. Some people can have serious skin reactions while taking blank, some of which can become life-threatening. These can include rash, swelling, redness, and peeling of the skin. Some people will have an allergic reaction to blank, and some of which can be life-threatening and include swelling of the face, mouth, and throat that can cause trouble breathing. If you have these symptoms or have a rash with peeling skin or blisters in your mouth, stop taking blank and get medical attention right away. In clinical trials, the most common side effects of blank include nausea, sleep problems, constipation, gas, vomiting, and these are not all the side effects of blank. Ask your doctor or pharmacist for more information." Dang! I mean, can you get a prescription for fear? You know, I like the timeliness of these words from Max Lucado. He wrote, When fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds? For God, for others, no. The fear-filled life cannot love deeply. Love is risky. They cannot give to the poor. Benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. See, fear is like that bully in junior high that made you want to turn around and go down another hallway. See, fear, fear, it will steal your dreams. It will dampen your passion. It will challenge your contentment and suck the joy out of yours or anyone's life. But here's the deal: Fear never wrote a symphony. It never cured a disease. It never won a championship and never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Courage does that. Faith does that so let me ask you what if faith and not fear was your reaction to whatever you were facing today friends i'm here to tell you this morning that it can be faith not fear can be your response this morning and i'll prove it to you we're going to look at psalm 23 Uh, It's been said this about Psalm 23, it's said that it's simple enough that a child can understand it, but deep enough that a theologian can drown in it, and it's true. It's been recited by God's people for over 3,000 years. In fact, King David, this warrior poet that we've been learning about all summer long, he penned this psalm when he was late in age and he was one in one of his deepest and darkest valleys in his life. See, his son Absalom was coming for his throne. Israel was in a time of civil war. To call this one of David's deepest and darkest valleys would absolutely be an understatement. And what's so amazing, though, is how often this psalm is misunderstood or at least misapplied. It really has been. See, so often we we think about the words of Psalm 23 and we hear them recited at funerals or we see them inscribed on sympathy cards. But my challenge to you this morning is that let's take these truths from Psalm 23, let's take them off of sympathy cards and let's inscribe them on our hearts. Why? Because Psalm 23 really isn't a psalm about death. It's a psalm about life. It's a psalm about fearless living. And so what I'd like to do right now is just read this psalm to you. And just feel like this is God's word over you this morning. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sometimes there are passages in Scripture that are just so rich It almost feels like you shouldn't say anything after them. But I'm going to attempt to this morning because what I find so interesting about this psalm is the perspective in which it's written. See, David, when he was a teenager, he didn't have a normal teenager's job. He didn't uh, stock shelves at 7-Eleven. He didn't scrub tables at taco time. No, he was a shepherd. And so it would have made sense for David to write from the perspective of a shepherd, but he doesn't. Instead, he writes from the perspective of being a sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that make David? It makes David a sheep. And unfortunately, this is not a term of endearment for us. I don't know if you know this, but over 200 times in scripture, you and I, David included, we are referred to as sheep. Not 10 times, not 20 times, not 50 times, not 100 times. Over 200 times we are referred to as sheep. And again, this is not a term of endearment. You ask me why. Well, there are three very prominent characteristics about sheep. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. The first characteristic of a sheep is that, number one, sheep... Are dumb. They're dumb. Sheep are dumb. Case in point, in 2005, you may remember this story, but there was a few flocks of sheep and a few shepherds who had gathered together in Turkey, and they were having a little pasture time, and the shepherds actually went out to breakfast, and when they were coming back, they noticed that there was a sheep, just this one little sheep, pack of 1,500, and this little sheep that was kind of wandering off towards these cliffs. Well, all of a sudden, they see this, they start calling to it, but all of a sudden, 400 other sheep start to follow this one sheep towards the cliff. Well, crazy enough, this poor little sheep, he jumps off the cliff to his death. And here come 400 following right after him, right over the cliff to their death. The pictures are actually online. It's very gruesome. I don't encourage you to Google it, it's, it's very bad. Now, here's the point. Sheep Sheep are dumb. You and I, though, we're not much different. Case in point, a couple weeks ago I was driving to go speak at a college camp in Palm Springs about two hours from where we are, so I decided I'm going to swing by the grocery store, grab a couple snacks before I make my way out there, and I grabbed these fiber one bars. Now that was already a mistake, right? (laughs) But those little chocolate chip fiber one bars, they're so addicting. And I tell myself, I'm just going to have one, two on this drive. Well sure enough, like 45 minutes into the drive, the whole box is gone. It's just gone. I just had six fiber one bars, guys. So as you can imagine, I'm about a half hour out from Palm Springs, and my insides want to explode. Do you want to know what I really wanted to do? I wanted to jump off a cliff, like it was horrible horrible. You and I, you laugh because you're not much different than me. We're, we're stupid sometimes. We're, we're a little dumb sometimes. We, we spend more money than we have. We overindulge in food and drink. We, we have hidden addictions that are actually killing us. See, a lot of us are, are just like sheep. We're, we're a little dumb sometimes. But sheep are not only dumb, sheep are also dirty. They're dirty. If you think about the arid climate of the Middle East, and you think about sheep, and you think about the dust and the dirt that, that they kick up and, and gets caught in their fur, you can think, oh, this is this is a pretty dirty thing. And, and oftentimes, if sheep will go days, and days turn into weeks, and sometimes days and weeks turn into months, sheep get very, very, very dirty in that climate. In fact, so dirty that there are cases where insects will start growing in their furry coats. Maggots will start to grow. And I know this is really gross, but I got to go there. Sometimes, If they're not clean, the maggots will go up into their face. I couldn't believe this. go into their face, inside their nostrils, and into their brain cavity. In fact, you can actually see sheep sometimes banging their head against rocks because those maggots have found their way up there. So disgusting. So gross. But the Bible says you and I, we are also like sheep. And here's the big idea. Sheep need someone to clean them up. They do. Sheep. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dirty. And the last point is sheep are defenseless. They're defenseless. You guys have probably watched the National Geographic channel or or maybe seen the Planet Earth documentaries and you see these animals that have unique defense mechanisms. You see little frogs that can change colors. You see porcupines have their their quills. You see skunks that can spray their funk, you know, on their enemies. But, But sheep. They got nothing. They got nothing. In fact, there are known cases where ravens will swoop down and poke out sheep's eyes. And what's a sheep to do? Bark at the raven? Take their little hooves and hoove at the raven? They've got nothing. They're defenseless. And again, the big idea would be this, that sheep, sheep without a shepherd, They are dumb, they are dirty, and they are defenseless, and they will not last long in this world. They won't. Sheep without a shepherd will not last long in this world. In fact, the only time that sheep are seen in a favorable light in the scriptures are when they are connected to their shepherd. And there's good news, friends. There's good news. You and I, we have a shepherd. But we don't just have a shepherd. The Bible says we have a good shepherd. Who is our good shepherd? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11. The question now becomes, well, what does a good shepherd do? Well, number one, a good shepherd directs. A good shepherd directs. He leads. The Bible says that he makes me lie down. Where? in green pastures. The Bible says, he leads me where? Beside the still waters. But here's something interesting that you may not know. You might ask yourself, well, where are the green pastures? Where are the still waters? If you were to study the geography of Israel, you would actually know that the green pastures and the still waters, they're at the very bottom of the valley. It's where the shade is. It's where grass can grow. It's where the waters pour into these pools where sheep can come and drink. And This is interesting to note. Where are your green pastures? Where are your still waters? Sometimes they're at the bottom of the valley. In fact, I would say it this way. I would say that the valley is just a path to greener pastures. Some of you guys have heard me share this story, but about 10 years ago, I had taken a job in Colorado Springs. I was there for six or seven months right out of college, and it it didn't work out. So I came back home, and I had done fairly well in college, and I thought, hey, it's not going to be hard to land a job. I had some opportunities before I left, and I'm coming back home, and I'm thinking it should be easy to score a job, but it wasn't. In fact, the economy was starting to tank a little bit, and I could not find work anywhere ended up living with my parents, and the only job I could find was working in a styrofoam hot dog costume, dancing on the corner of 124th here in Totem Lake. I was out there shaking my tail feathers for over six months, waving people into Matt's gourmet hot dogs. And to say it was a valley would be an understatement. It was perhaps the worst but also the best time of my life. See it was when I was at that valley that God became so real to me was inside that styrofoam costume each and every day where I felt the Lord prompt me to start listening to sermons. So I start listening to this cool, hip, young pastor named Mike Howerton, and he was just speaking God's word over me every day out there in that hot dog costume. And then I start listening to worship music and God's word, again, just being spoken and sung over my life. And while I was in this valley, what was so interesting is that God was growing me. He was leading me to a place of rest, of green pastures, where he was restoring my soul. He was filling me up, and you know what? It was my pathway to greener pastures. Because as I spent time out on that corner, God was speaking to me, he told me, you need to jump back into church. You need to start serving. And as I started to do those things, he was riding me up out of this valley. And then this guy, Mike Howerton, gives this dancing hot dog a chance and says, come join our staff. I thought he was crazy. But you know what I realized? The pathway to greener pastures is through the valley. It's through the valley. And our good shepherd, what does he do? He directs. See, the Bible says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it joy when you are in the valley. See, Kelly Clarkson had it right when she said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's true. But the good shepherd doesn't only direct, the good shepherd also defends. The good shepherd directs, but the good shepherd also defends. He protects. This is an interesting thing. As I was studying Psalm 23, it says this in John 10, 7. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. What does that mean? Well, shepherds, in Jesus's day, they would take their flocks and they would go to the green pastures and they would go to the still waters. And then when it's nighttime, they would take them to these pens, these circular pens, usually made out of rocks, and they would move the flock into these pens. But these pens didn't have doors. Who was the door? The shepherds. At night, the shepherd would lay down at the door, the opening of this little pen, and there he would sleep, and he would ward off any predator that would come the sheep's way. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, he is saying, I am your defender. I heard this amazing story this week from one of our missionaries down in Southern California. There was a team that was in Peru, and they were connecting with this young missionary who had set up shop just kind of in the jungle area of that country. And she was doing some amazing, amazing work. One morning, this missionary, she gets up and she goes down to the river and she's just having some Jesus time. She's just opening the word, praying, jotting some things down in a journal. When all of a sudden, out of this little river comes this anaconda and just grabs onto her arm. If you know anything about anacondas, they don't let go. They're going to hold on and they're going to squeeze the life right out of you. And so she's losing it. She's screaming for help. And then about 30 seconds in, an anaconda does what an anaconda never does. An anaconda let goes and slithers back into the water. She goes back to the village for treatment. And then something amazing happens. This witch doctor bursts in the door and starts staring at her. She's just staring at her, and she can't believe that this young missionary is still alive. And then she proceeds to say that my son-in-law, who is also a witch doctor, chanted down the spirit of the anaconda to come, and there is no reason that you should be here. He sent that spirit to come kill you this morning. How are you here? And she said this. She said, I am certain that except for the protection and defense of my God, I would have been dead. Friends, our good shepherd directs, and our good shepherd defends. And our good shepherd, he also delivers. Our good shepherd delivers. I love how Psalm 23 says, our good shepherd, he restores my soul. But how? How does a good shepherd restore your soul? Well, let's think about this, friends. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, but what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How is your soul restored? It's restored through a shepherd who has laid down his life for you. His sheep. If you have never heard this story, this life-changing good news, let me tell you right now that there is a God who stepped off his throne in heaven, stepped across the cosmos, entered this planet in the most humble of fashions. He lived a life that you and I could not live, a perfect life. He died a death that you and I could not die, stapled to a cross in our place for our sins. God died for us, but the good news is on the The third day, he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death for all time. And that's not it. Later, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, his spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. It indwells the believer. It indwells the Christ follower. It is inside of us. And crazy enough, Jesus himself says, you will do greater things than I did on this planet. You will heal the lame and the leper. You will heal the blind man. You will see people come to faith in me in droves because of my spirit at work in you. Does Jesus Christ deliver? Does Jesus, our good shepherd, deliver? Yes, he delivers. He delivers. He directs, he defends, and he delivers. So why in the world, if we have a good shepherd like that, why in the world would we ever fear any evil? For he, he is with us. So as we round third and head home on this message, I just want to give you three truths. I've been studying this passage for a couple weeks now, and these are just things that the Lord has prompted my spirit, and I hope they're an encouragement to you. The first one is this. It's, you can't always change your season, but you can always change your response. You can't always change your season But you can always change your response. The reason I say this is because valleys in life, they're inevitable. They're not just a topographical designation. They're a spiritual thing. Valleys are inevitable in this life. And here's the truth. Valleys will either break your back or they will bend your knee. And the choice is yours. Bible says this. It says, in this life, you will have trouble. It doesn't say you might have trouble. It doesn't say you will maybe have trouble. It says you will have trouble. My family's been having some trouble the last couple of years in regards to my mom. I shared about this last year, but it's gotten a little bit worse. My mom, a, a few years ago, she came to a Christmas Eve service here at Overlake, and as I was watching her walk down the hall, she was just kind of like shuffling them along, and I was like, well, mom, what, what's going on? Like, and she said, I, I don't know, I think there's some prescription drug interaction that's having some effects or whatever, and the, the next year, it was just this up and down cycle. She would have these steroid treatments, and she'd be better for a while, and then she'd be back down, and it was up and down, up and down, up and down. Eventually the steroids stopped working. This past October, she came down to California to visit us, and, and man, it was getting really, really hard. She didn't have strength in her arms to hold our babies. She could barely stand up. And then by December, she was in a wheelchair. By February, we had to put in a feeding tube. And it was just downhill, downhill, downhill. And then it's plateaued for a while. But what's been so interesting in this journey is in my mind, my mom has every right to be bitter and angry. But my mom has only gotten better. I asked her, what? what is God doing in your world? Like, how can you have a positive outlook? Like, how are you not just angry at God right now? And then she proceeded to tell me that she recites Psalm 23 every day. That Psalm 23 has been the passage that she has clung to in this season. And she has put her faith and trust in her good shepherd, knowing that he has good things in store for her. I was told about this Corey Ten Boom quote, which I think kind of sums up my mom's living right now. Corey Ten Boom is a survivor of the horrors of the Holocaust. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. You know, when life seems out of hand, you can choose to let it break your back or you can choose to bend your knee and trust in the good shepherd. We've learned, and my mom's learned, that you don't have to accept every attitude that your emotions suggest. She also believes that many of us are just one decision away from a completely different life. She said that life is supposed to be difficult. In fact, that's what makes us grow. And I also believe that some of our best ministry comes from our deepest pains. If you are going through a valley right now. You can choose to let it break your back or you can choose to let it bend your knee and trust in this good shepherd who will journey with you through the valley, who will help you grow through the valley, and he will lead you on a path towards greener pastures. Truth one. Truth number two is this. When you feed your faith, you'll starve your fear. When you feed your faith, you will actually starve your fear. You might ask, well, how do we feed our faith? And I've said this before, but I believe this. When you feed your faith, how do you feed your faith? Well, you gotta walk with Godfidence. What in the world is Godfidence? Godfidence is simply this it's the confidence to become everything that Christ has created you to be. Godfidence is simply the confidence to become everything that God has created you to be. The problem is, so often we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are Insecurities creep in And when insecurities creep in soon We start feeding our fears Rather than feeding our faith So what do we need to do? I believe this wholeheartedly And this would be my encouragement to you If you want to feed your faith And starve your fear You have got to speak God's word Over your life God's word is living It's powerful It's sharper than a two-edged sword It's active in our lives. God's word speaks to us. And if you'll start declaring it over your life, it will actually change the direction of your life. We need to remind ourselves who we are. In fact, you and I, we need to become our own best preachers. We need to remind ourselves of truths like 1 Corinthians 15, 57, that we, we are victors and not victims in this world. We need to remind ourselves of truths like Deuteronomy twenty-eight thirteen that we are the head and not the tail. We need to remind ourselves of truths like Ephesians two ten that we are God's workmanship created in him to do good works. We need to remind ourselves of truth like 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. We need to remind ourselves of truth like Philippians four thirteen that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We need to remind ourselves of truth like 2 Corinthians twelve ten that I may be weak. You and I, we may be weak, but isn't it good to know that in our weakness, we are made strong. He is made strong in us. And here is what I found. As we start declaring God's word over our lives, as we change the declaration of our lips, we actually change the direction of our lives. If we will change the declaration of our lips, God will actually change the direction of our lives. So you can feed your faith and starve your fear, or you can feed your fear and your faith will starve. The choice is yours. Speak God's word over your life. And this leads me to truth number three. And this is my encouragement, especially as we end this summer of connection, as we head into a fall that's important. It's important for us to be fully engaged as Christ followers. The truth is this a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. The phrase, do not be afraid, is found 365 times in the Bible. That is a daily reminder from God to live life fearlessly. See, Jesus, he didn't die in order that we could play it safe. He actually died that we might live dangerously. The goal of our life is not to arrive safely at death. And so amidst talks of nuclear war and neo-Nazis doing more rallies and terrorist attacks, You know what we need to be, church? We need to be a fearless church. As a church, a capital C church, we need to make this our finest hour. When the world is at its worst, we as the church, we need to be at our best. The world needs us. And sometimes that can be on a large scale, but sometimes it can just be small. And you, in inviting God's spirit to speak to you and impact just one person at a time, I got to tell you this crazy story that just happened last week. Dane, he's one of our men's pastors down in Southern California, and he told me this story at one of our campuses last week. There was this couple that was out in the parking lot, and they were just going at it. They were just having this huge argument. And there was this guy who's in his life group who saw this interaction going on, and he he was kind of like asking God, should I like jump into this thing or not? And he was kind of hoping that God would say no, but God's like, no, you got to run over there. So he runs over there, and he proceeds to hear this couple's story. They had just moved the day before. They'd packed up themselves and their four kids in their broken-down minivan, and they had moved from New Mexico to California for work. During the service, this man got a phone call that the job that was lined up for him had just fallen through. They were homeless, they didn't have much money, and they had a broken-down minivan, and they didn't know what to do. So he hears the story, he prays for this uh, couple, and then this man gets on the phone and he calls up his friends in the church and said, guys, it's time for us to be the church. It's time for us to rally around this family. So within a day, they score up uh, some money and they get themselves, uh, they get this couple uh, a hotel room down the road, and they put them up there for a few days, and they start working more and more. And they say, hey, what can we do as a group to provide for this family? And so they get them the hotel room, and then they start bringing food so people are delivering meals each and every day to the hotel for this family of six. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible thing. And then their car breaks down completely, it just completely breaks down. So this group gets together, and they're like, what are we going to do? They just find people, and they raise enough money to buy this family a brand new car. Buy him a brand new car, just loving on this family. He's still, this this man, he's still looking for work, can't find work. And so they just start doing the job search for him. And sure enough, within a week, they score him a job, a better paying job than the one he was coming here to do. And this, friends, is incredible. It's incredible. Now this family, you know what? They're all getting lined up to get baptized because this group has also shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them, and they've come to a saving faith in Jesus, all because The church said, we're going to get off of our hands and knees. We're going to get out there. We're going to get dirty. See a scared world. It's in need of a fearless church. And it started with this one man having this prompting from God. He didn't want to go, but he went anyways. He mustered up courage to strike up this conversation. And now this family's life is changed because he listened to that prompting. That is what we need to do as a church as well. When God speaks in that still small voice, we need to listen and heed him. And it might be scary, but we need to step out in faith anyway. We need to channel our inner Joshua and say, have I not commanded you, God said, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord, your God, he goes with you wherever you go. So why in the world would you be afraid? I want to end with this story. It's a story I've told a few times, but it's a story that, quite honestly, I repeat to myself almost daily because it paints a picture of the life that I want to live. This is the kind of life that I want to live, and I pray that it encourages you to live fearlessly. There's a band of brothers and sisters in the late 1800s known as one-way missionaries. One of these missionaries, his name was A.W. Milne. He was a part of this band of brothers and sisters, and rather than packing their belongings in suitcases and heading off to distant lands to proclaim the good news, they would actually pack their belongings in coffins. Because they knew that where they were headed, they were not coming back. They were giving their lives for Jesus. And So this young man, A.W. Mill, he packs his belongings in this coffin, he hops on a boat, and he heads to this small set of islands in the South Pacific. And there, he gives his life, pouring out the good news to the people of this set of islands. In fact, by the end of his missionary time, every person on that small set of islands had come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then one day... He wakes up, he's not feeling good, he's sick, and within 24 hours, he's gone. So the tribes on those islands, they come together in this center island, and they have a funeral, a memorial service for this young man, A.W. Milne. And they get to the center of the island, and they have a little service, and they put up a tombstone. And this is what's inscribed on A.W. Milne's tombstone. It says, when he came there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. A scared world is in need of a fearless church. Every missionary who had gone before him to that set of islands has died. They'd been cannibalized, but A.W. Milne, he went anyways because he mustered up his faith, he listened to God's spirit, and he went and he gave his life for Jesus Christ. Could we say that? Could you and I say that, that I am willing to give my life for the sake of Jesus Christ? Could we be a fearless church in a scared world? Could we trust our good shepherd who directs, who defends, and delivers? Could we trust him to go into this dark and dying world and proclaim goodness and hope and healing and life and life abundant to people who desperately need it. That is our mission as we head into the fall. This has been an awesome summer, a summer of connection where God has stirred up relationship in this place. He has built up an army. Now he is sending us out of the four walls of this place to be a people who will be light and salt and good in a world that's scared. Will we be that church? I pray that we are. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that your spirit is on the move, Lord. I pray for the people of Overlake that this fall, this next school year, that this would be the most powerful year this church has ever seen because God's people are united in you, their good shepherd. They understand and know and are full of faith that you will direct, that you will defend, and you will deliver for them time and time and time again. Lord, I pray for stories. I pray for stories that come out of this place that will encourage this region and this world, Lord. I pray that you write such a story, the history books are going to have to tell about it. Jesus, we love you. I pray God's blessing on these people. I love them so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you guys.